Hey everyone, welcome back to the Futurist Podcast. I'm your host, Joe Lenehan, and I am so excited to bring you a very, very special episode today. Today's conversation is with Amit Huda. Amit is a regenerative farmer and co-founder of fashion brand Sector 6, which is a regenerative fashion brand based in India. I had no idea what regenerative fashion or farming meant, but thankfully Amit gave me a really amazing crash course on what it means and why we should all be turning towards it. He is not a fashion person by his own admission, but he couldn't help but get involved in trying to create equality with people and the planet without looking at the fashion industry. As he goes on to say, it touches every single part of our lives. It's the biggest religion that exists. Amit has so many amazing insights into not only farming, but into the different experiences he has had as a business owner and as someone who has started really successful co-ops in war-torn areas. Amit grew up amidst the conflict in Punjab as a child and it really affected his mindset and his ethos and how he approaches every problem that he faces. This was a fascinating conversation on so many different levels and I know I learned a lot from it and I hope you guys will too. I've included some links to some of the things that Amit refers to in the conversation in the notes so check that out and I've also included links to Sector 6. I know you're going to want to check out their stunning kafkans and gorgeous sweaters and you're going to want to follow them on Instagram to keep up with everything that they're doing. Don't forget to like, subscribe and follow Sector 6 for more on the amazing work that they're doing. Over to my conversation with Amit. I was born and raised in North India and I was born in 1980 and that's when the conflict started in Punjab. So I was born and raised around a conflict and the conflict ended in 1991. So it it was a very tough time where you kind of, if you travel, you look under the, you know, if you're sitting in a restaurant, you look under the table, if there is a bomb or anything, you know, those kind of things. So it was a very different, uh, but my parents, uh, they have, were born and raised on regenerative values. Regenerative kind of means live in harmony. Uh, we meditate and we were born kind of, uh, and we were raised on organic food. My father is an agronomist. Agronomist is like a plant doctor. You know, there is a physician for a human. So for plant, it's an agronomist. So uh, we always grew up around farmers and my dad was a professor at a university as well. So we always kind of saw the importance of farmers and teachers throughout our life. So uh, I left India, went to Canada, U of T, and then uh, there is a, uh, I don't know if you know this meditation called TM. Um, yes. you know Donovan yellow yes. mellow yeah so so I was born and raised in it my dad was very close to Marishi and uh, so when I was studying in Canada my dad said you know this university will give you information go to Marishi University it'll make you smarter because they'll allow you to do meditation so so I went to this small school in Iowa so uh, I the only thing I could study there was computer science so I became a software engineer like all the Indians. So I went to Silicon Valley, I had an exit, uh, you know, made good money with it, you know, and then uh, I had a cosmetic company that I worked with, uh, I had an exit with that. So uh, basically, uh, you know, the most beautiful thing for me was when I was comfortable enough that I could do what I wanted to do, you know, which is, you know, there are three most important uh, inflection points in human life birth death and finding your purpose 
So for me, uh, my purpose was to eliminate poverty for teachers and farmers. Mm. That's what we cared about since we, I was a kid. That's what my dad trained me to do. So we started a business called Heavenly Organics. And the purpose of that was to build a supply chain in conflict areas. Because we believe if you give people ethical job and fair wage job in conflict zone, you eliminate conflict mm. by just doing that. And you know you don't want to bring refugees from Syria to Germany and pay a lot of money and have them learn German when you can give them a skill they have and apply that and monetize that. So we started in Central India, we started in Kashmir, then we expanded into South America, you know, parts of uh, you know Peru, Colombia, and you know where they grow a lot of uh, uh, produce a lot of cocaine. So we went into those areas. Uh, you know, we're not aligned with any government or anything. We never took money. And, you know, we started a project in Afghanistan as well. So our goal was to create the supply chains for farmers. Then in 2014 in India, there were a lot of farmers who started to commit suicide, cotton farmers. And that's when we started to look at, okay, how can we help cotton farmers? And uh, as Kelly will put it, I'm a badly dressed heterosexual Indian guy. I'm far away from fashion, Okay. <laughs> So I know nothing about fashion. So I did not get into fashion because it was my dream. So we were looking at cotton farmers. And then uh, when we were working in South America as well, like you look at these successful drug dealers and you see them as, you know, there is their life. And, and I looked at how do you spend your money after you make it? They spend their money on brand names fashion brand names like Gucci and all these names. So I just, that just nailed it for me that fashion is bigger than a religion. It's a religion that is bigger than any other religion. So we just got to put some soul into it. And so that's when we kind of started to work on this project. How could we create a regenerative fashion? So that's how we kind of got here with sector six. So we kind of wanted to hold ourselves accountable to solutions so that when people learn about those solutions, they can demand those solutions from other brands. And once you demand those from other brands, then it becomes a certification or a seal. Just like in organic industry, my father has been doing this for like 40 years, uh, organic natural. And now you see a seal and you automatically say, okay, that product is good. So in fashion, we wanted to create a regenerative fashion seal so that we hold ourselves accountable, show that it's economically viable, like we did in organic food, and then uh, hope others will follow. So that's pretty much the premise. And uh, if you look at fashion itself, it touches many industries. It's not as simple as agriculture or petroleum, where it just touches two industries or three. Mm-hmm. Fashion touches 50 industries and it's got a psychological impact on human life. It's got a physiological impact on human life. And then it's got heavy impact on the environment. Huge. So, yeah. So uh, let me know when you want me to stop. I mean, I can. I would. There, oh my God. There, there was so much in there. I've actually taken notes because you touched on so many fascinating points. And I'm going to bring you right back to the first thing that I just really have to ask you about which is how do you go into an area with conflict and create order because I can imagine 
you're someone who grew up in conflict. In Ireland, we had a lot of conflict with the North in, in the, I mean, throughout history, but especially in the 80s, 70s and 80s. And so I know from watching that unfold how chaotic a conflict zone is. It To me, it seems incredible that as a non-government body, you could go into these places and give people a purpose, something really positive out of themse- outside of themselves, and also something as tactile as, you know, growing, which is such a soulful, you know, connection to the earth in the midst of all of this turmoil. How did you guys do that? It's pretty amazing. Yeah. So the key character, the first of all, the main characteristic of a conflict is a, that there is more women and children and old men, because young men are pretty much, you know, they hmm. are being recruited to fight. Like take an example of Central India, the Naxalite movement, uh, these tribal people, you know, they would get recruited and, you know, they'll kind of hide in jungles and uh, damage the government properties and all of that. So for us, we looked at what was there that could be sold to Western world. And it was this wild honey that grew in the trees by itself. And they were already, these guys already knew how to collect it. So the only thing we did is got rid of the smoke and made it more like a regenerative and showed them how they'll make more money. And we will create a supply where the women will get paid. And so before us, these women will work 12 hours going the field and they'll have all kinds of issues, especially in winter where the sun goes down. You know, they'll have higher cases of rape because, you know, sun goes down and they're still walking, you know, Mm -hmm. back to their homes and things like that. So when we showed them that First of all, being not affiliated with government actually helps because they are fighting the government, mm. you know, so they're less suspicious about it. And then it's just earning their trust. Trust is everything. Mm. And we earned their trust by just, when we first went there, they sold us sugar and they thought they screwed us. So they were very happy. So we went back again without anger, you know, and uh, earned their trust. And you find one or two kind of thought leaders in the community and you kind of groom them. And today, once it gets going and people see money, they want to attach to you. Like today, we have lions waiting. You know, people want to work with us. And, and the way I set it up was if somebody doesn't collect 1,000 kilos, we didn't work with them because what we did is we'll do calculation that you need X amount of dollars to live fair wage in New Delhi, and that's what we want you to make. So they'll make what they'll make in a year, in a month, and three times that in three months. So, because they'll only work with us for three months. So money talks, basically. So they're, yeah, so that's what it was. It was a slow process. It was started in 2005. It took us four years to build the supply chain. And we used the same principles. Like take an example of you in Afghanistan. They produce the best almonds. It's sweet almond like Californian almond. But before the Soviet went there, they used to export 300 million of it. Today, none of that comes to the United States. So if we just let them apply that skill again, instead of poppy farming in some areas, I think. So you can watch a video on Amazon Prime. Uh, it's a TV show. It's uh, with me and Carl Penn. I can send you a link that can explain more about our conflict zone supply chain. Yes, please do. I'd love to watch that and I'll add it to the notes, the podcast notes, because I think that is something people would be really, really fascinated in. And 
I love what you talked about there, which was like not, which I think a lot of NGO, NGOs do, which is like go into a place and try and put their idea of what people should be doing on them and try to force people into this uh, new way of doing things. You just saw what was already thriving in a country and just helped facilitate people to create a supply chain around it, which I think is so fabulous. The next, I think it's all C's. I, I want to talk about conflict, cotton and cocaine. So you mentioned, <laughs> <laughs> you mentioned cocaine and I'm just wondering because it's it's very much the same here in Dublin. You know, very young boys usually are recruited with the drug dealers and they're not paid with cash. They're paid with, you know, Gucci, Prada, uh, Canada Goose. Um, and so, you know, when you're trying to go in somewhere and provide a different way of living for people how did you how did you I I don't want to say compete with that but it's a very difficult thing if that's no we weren't we weren't competing with drug dealers basically what we're saying is that you know we were going to the farmers who are producing the cocoa leaves and saying instead of this you can produce cacao Mm. and we would build that so basically when you eliminate middle management and you uh you kind of add a little bit of a, you know, a quality step on the farm and give farmer a little bit more education. They're able to make, you know, many fold money. Mm. And we were just working with those farmers, like competing, like you can produce this or you can produce this. Mm. So that's where we were working. You know, we, uh, we, we, <laughs> we are all about farmers. So we haven't figured out how to take care of, uh, you know, kids in the cities, you know, Mm. when you're going to those farmlands that's pretty much you know that supply is owned by a cartel and you know you're going in there they can really chop your head off because mm. you know you shouldn't be going there so anyway yeah it's serious it's really serious, yeah. serious yeah. and now I'd love to talk to you about cotton because you touched on that too and it's something that I studied a lot I'm back in college doing a postgrad in sustainable business management and I'm focusing a lot on different uh, raw materials and cotton is something that comes up a lot because it's such a popular in-demand material. Can you talk just a little bit about how cotton is farmed traditionally in India? So cotton cotton is, you know, a very water intense and pesticide intense crop. It, It uses they say if cotton is say 2% of your uh, total crop, say in Ireland, okay, not in Ireland, it doesn't grow there. But the point is, say, if it's 2%, it's going to use five times the amount of chemical. Mm. That's the ratio. Do you understand what I'm saying? Percentage wise. Yeah. So, so, so the way cotton is uh, grown and harvested in India is very manual. It's not automated like U.S., Cotton is picked by women and children, labor. And when you are picking this cotton, that's got such heavy pesticide residue and uh, all of that, you are exposed to uh, cancer, all kinds of stuff. You, you know, in the US, there is actually now recognition, even EPA is saying that Roundup is dangerous. You know, it causes cancer. So, so these chemicals, they're exposed to changes their life, you know, especially and they're not paid wages, first of all. So you're growing a crop that uses a lot of input and you have to 
uh, use a lot of money to grow this crop, then you don't get paid anything for it, really. And if your crop goes bad, you're in debt. Which, which it is going bad now so much more because we're in the middle of a, a, a changing climate, drought, there's droughts, there's floods. So, you know, it's, it's not uncommon to lose your your whole year's crop in one go i honestly think the way that you've summed it up there if anybody if everybody knew that that you know somebody had to suffer or get cancer to pick the cotton that went into your jeans and t-shirt i don't think anybody would buy generic cotton again i think everybody would change to organic there's just such a disconnect well organic is not enough you see organic didn't go far enough organic they short they shortchanged it. So the regenerative agriculture is a better version that completely satisfy. If you took all the regenerative agriculture principles and apply them to cotton farming, that satisfies, you know, uh, there is no use of chemical, there is less use of water. In organic, there is still some things allowed. And you live kind of in a harmony where you're able to kind of think about crop rotation and a bunch of other things. So this whole monocrop system and uh, corporate version of agriculture where, you know, they, when they buy seed, they can't even reuse them. Mm. So you have to keep buying seed every year. That's how kind of, you know, human greed has gone into agriculture in that way, you know. So uh, as far as uh, agriculture goes, organic is not enough. Regenerative is where we have to go to solve all the impact of cotton. Okay, so now we need to move past organic and go towards regenerative. And as you said, that means crop rotation, looking after the soil. I mean, obviously you learned, like your, your dad is an expert in this. What else can people learn about regenerative um, growing and farming? Well, regenerative uh, farming basically deals with, you kind of work on the principle of healing, restoring, put back the nutrition you took and of course, no use of chemical, uh, harmful chemical and all of that. And kind of going, re regenerative is beyond sustainable. So if you married uh, the highest principle of sustainable and organic kind of together, you, you still fall short, like regenerative is pretty much you know, above that in that way. And how positive, obviously you can see what you're doing with sector six, but how positive are you about that message spreading and more and more people getting on board with regenerative farming and that becoming the norm. Are you optimistic? Do you still think we're a far away from that? Yeah, I, I think, uh, you know, <laughs> you go to Kieran Group's website, they're saying regenerative agriculture, we support it. They just don't know how. So the problem here is uh, fashion is decided by people who have never seen a farm who have never seen a factory in India, like H&M factories, you know, and everything else. So I think there is a lot of noise in fashion. We would like to find meaningful relationships with the right people to get the message across. So yeah, we are optimistic, we are here, but uh, I think it's gonna uh, take a village to change this, not just us. 100%, but I love your approach in that you're trying to change things from the inside out. That's something Stella McCartney always comes back to when people criticize her about her shortcomings with what she's done within the fashion industry. And she always says, well, look, I'm, I'm working from the inside out. I'm trying to create change 
by being in the industry and understanding what goes on and then trying to change things and you guys are doing the exact same thing you're you've infiltrated fashion even though you're not a fashion person by your own admission let's talk about the the clothes they're really beautiful you have the most gorgeous oh, thank you fashion. yeah they're they're stunning there's calf cans there's beautiful oversized hoodies i'm sure everyone who listens to this is going to go on and have a really good browse but talk to me a little bit about how you create the designs because i know you guys collaborate with some really great designers and then you have great partners the likes of kelly catrone who have spread the message and has bridged the gap between what you're doing which is really the important ground level work and then actually as you said bring it to market and getting people to wear it yeah so what what we want to do is appeal to that conscious consumer that who wants to support and vote with their dollars for our mission. So uh, we kind of find right partners who can bring designs to life that will appeal to that conscious consumer. You know, it's very simple for us. And, uh, you know, for example, uh, last, last year we worked with Kelly and this designer from uh, Paris, uh, Rosemary. And uh, we did a fashion show in New York and then COVID happened. So we had to switch from wholesale <laughs> strategy completely retail strategy from what kelly's told me the the fashion show was a huge success and it was yeah yeah it was good it must have been yeah. really exciting to actually see it in real life a far away from the people who had made it but in new york in the midst of all of that noise it must have been pretty amazing to see the pieces and have them stand out and and be recognized so much yeah i mean it was a good show a lot of people came it was uh much better than i'd expected for a new brand to have so much attention in new york city during busy week. For people who are listening who this is the first time that they've heard about the brand, it's the first time maybe that they've even heard of the theory of regenerative farming. What would you say to them about sector six? What do they need to know to go and buy these clothes? You know, what kind of effect is it going to have on the people who are working for it and on the land that they're supporting? Sector six is a platform that gives respect and rights to the soil, water, humanity, and animals all equally. And uh, by supporting us, we are eliminating a lot of pollution, environmental pollution and damage to humanity and uh, slavery because we are certified fair trade factory. That can't be said. I mean, whether it's H&M or even if you look at the greenwashed version of, uh, uh, of transparency and uh, social impact, Everlane, I don't know if you have heard of them. I sure have. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So they just tell you where the factory is. We tell you who made your clothes and how their life was impacted. That's real transparency, not where the factory is. That's not going far enough. So with us, you have solution to all the kind of issues fashion have created. And uh, yeah. Anyone who's listening is gonna be super inspired and will just wanna find out more. Amit, I wish you every success. 